Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Good to be here, Rob. Good to talk to you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to a special edition of the Dental Amigos, dedicated to the recent issues surrounding the coronavirus pandemic, with our guests, Linda Harvey and my colleague, Anna Hoslinski. Paul, this is uh, a first for us. Due to the situation, we're actually not in the room together uh, as we're recording this episode on March 17th, 2020, and Wow, uh, has the world changed in the last week? It definitely has. I mean, social distancing, uh, something I never had heard of. And I just get the feeling each day that I'm just inside this weird movie here. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, it's, I, I've kind of likened it to, it's like a, a cross between 9-11 and Groundhog Day. You know, yeah, every day yeah. it's like 9-11, kind of everybody doesn't know what's happening next. And people are sort of in this like zombie mode trying to, you know, figure out how they're going to cope and, and you know, with, with the uncertainty of, of what lies ahead. But it's just it's been every day and I feel like, you know, I've had this conversation with, with colleagues and, and clients. I feel like uh, every day is like a month. You know, we talk about what happened last Thursday. It seems like that was three months ago, you know, and that's a couple of business days ago. And uh, it's just been, uh, it's just been crazy uh, of late and something I, that I, I don't think any of us ever uh, totally contemplated it was possible. Yeah. I'm here with my, the Nacho family, uh, day after day. And, you know, it's very unusual to have uh, the moderator out of school and it just, just feels like one long day. I think so, that's a really an, an accurate way to put it is since we've lived through both of them, uh, a 9-11 and Groundhog Day where it looks nice outside, but it just, you know, doesn't feel, you know, we're here in Philadelphia. It feels like this ghost town and it just isn't just an odd, eerie uh, uh, feeling. And, you know, to use a um, example from one of our, our people like this M. Night Shyamalan scenario that we've become our real life here with the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and, and it's really compounded also by just inconsistency with what rules and suggestions are out there and what's actually people are legally obligated to do, what they think they should do, what other people are doing and in, in different parts of the country are dealing with it differently. Different communities are, have different of sort of requirements and mandates. So trying to, to navigate what's right and to, to protect yourself and your family and your friends and and what's being expected of you, the government. And, you know, maybe we'll get into this a little bit too. Obviously, the 
economic impact on all this. I mean, Philadelphia is closed now for two weeks, and I guess that's what we're the fifth or sixth largest city in the country. Uh, it's an amazing thing that businesses can operate, and what the the long term financial impact of that is remains to be seen. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, San Francisco is on a full lockdown, and uh, you know, as we this is you know I. I this is changing really hour by hour as we get new information. And even in a few days from now, what we say here could be dramatically different. And the, the economic impact is a, an incredibly important one. And I know we're going to talk about this as, you know, me, us being small business owners, uh, we have to lead our team and try to make decisions without really enough information on hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a challenging thing that I don't think uh, in our wildest dreams we could have ever thought we'd be dealing with. For sure. So, uh, two great guests today that are going to bring a lot of uh, expertise and knowledge in a lot of the subject matter that our listeners are dealing with now. Uh, Linda Harvey uh, is a nationally recognized healthcare risk management and compliance expert who assists dentists and teams to navigate regulatory requirements. She's the founder and president of a couple of compliance-related companies. This is Linda's second appearance on the show, and she's going to walk us through some of the uh, OSHA issues and some of the the actual uh, boots on the ground and, and things and infection control and things like that that practices need to be aware of and, and, and think about. Uh, and uh, during her programs, Linda always draws from her real-world experience, and she's worked with offices that have undergone HIPAA, OSHA, and infection control audits. And uh, she really uh, prides herself in her ability to prepare for the unexpected when it comes to compliance and patient safety. And uh, I think this is the ultimate in, in that regard. So uh, looking forward to hear what Linda's thoughts are on, on a lot of these issues. And we're also joined today by my colleague, Anna Zlinski, who's an attorney in our firm who handles uh, a wide range of legal matters, uh, practice sales and acquisitions, but also with a heavy concentration on employment agreement preparation for employers and consulting on HR and personnel, uh, personnel issues uh, for our clients. And so now, without further ado, here are Linda Harvey and Anna Huslinski. Welcome, amigas, and thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Likewise, I'm happy to be back. Yeah, second appearance for, for both uh, Anna and, uh, and Linda. So um, I think we, we've agreed that we're going to forego the usual nacho topping question yeah. because we've, we've been through that before. I think we, maybe a, a tequila question would be more uh, appropriate given the, the times that we're in now, but uh, we'll save that maybe for later. Um, we can kind of do it in our own, you know, privacy of our own homes, right? And uh, not, uh, not socially interact, <laughs> but... Um, Today, uh, we're seeing uh, a couple of uh, mandates coming down from the ADA uh, and uh, locally in our community, uh, the New Jersey Dental Association, uh, the American Dental Association telling people that for the next three weeks, they should not be uh, treating patients unless it's uh, an emergency. And the NJ uh, Department of uh, uh, Dentistry is telling people that it's two weeks, right, Paul? That they're yeah, that's just came out here that they uh, recommended uh, shutting down to all um, 
elective procedures for two weeks. Yeah. And so and right off the bat, this is one of the, the challenges and the frustrations that I think the four of us are dealing with right now, which is here are two, obviously the New Jersey uh, State Board of Dentistry is it's a legal entity and the ADA is not. So, you know, there's no legal requirement to follow what the ADA says, but obviously it's you know, what the, the profession and the, the guidelines that uh, people respect and look to, but from a legal standpoint, it's not it's not a law or a regulation. But right away, despite that, there's an inconsistency on these two things, which is again part of the frustration I think we're all dealing with. Which is, you know, what should we be doing, and what should we be advising and instructing our clients to do when there are so many conflicting things that are out there, Paul? I it's you know that's why I'm really just. Uh, glad to be talking with uh, two experts and, and two people who can share, help us, Anna and Linda. I mean, a couple of things that I've been sharing with my Nacho group over the past few days, even before this has gotten to this level, right? This was, in, you know, just, uh, you know, three or four days ago. And I could just kind of, it has to do a lot with S's, you know, three S's, uh, safety, sanity, and stress. And it relates to another S that affects dentists and I wish was affecting us now because it seems quaint, Rob, and you like this S very much. And that S is snow. Okay. So <laughs> snow creates total loss of sanity and increase in stress in a dental office. So the news reports on snow, it's going to be bad. It's not going to be bad. And my, my uh, dad, who I had a chance to work with uh, for 11 years, so lucky to do that, amazing mentor and, and friend, uh, and unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but this was one of our biggest battles. Should we close for snow? And my dad, this was his personality. It could be your personality, Rob, or Honor, Linda, and uh, some of our listeners, but this was not mine. My dad would say, let's see how it is in the morning, and then we will decide. But at 7 a.m., if you try to unwind a whole dental office, 52 patients, 12 team members, it caused stress. So I said, there's only one way for us to manage this, Dad, and he finally got it. We are going to do what the forecast says. So if it says it's going to snow seven inches on Thursday, we would close the office. And you know what I would hope for, Rob, Linda, and Anna? I would hope that it didn't snow. And yeah. I would hope that it was an was a overreaction. And then on that Thursday... I would be glad to be off, go do things, eat nachos, you know, my true passion, mm -hmm. and then go back. So I just feel like we're in this scenario that's similar to, to me where, and I know we're going to dig into a lot of this, but just this morning, one of the other Facebook group leaders who I'm very friendly with said, you know, I'm at my office. It's just too stressful. You know, we need a break. People are going nuts. And that's what happens with snow. Are we closing? Are we not closing? Can I come in? Can Mrs. Smith come in? This person's going to come in snowshoes to get their crown done, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, that's the feeling that I have magnified by a hundred in preparing for this snow, but we don't know when the snow is going to end. Uh, and that's just kind of where, where we're at. And you're right. The, inc the inconsistency among the different bodies of two weeks, three weeks, things like that is just adding to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so Anna, you know, when we talk about inconsistencies, you know, what are some of the things that we're hearing concerns from dentists about from a from a legal and regulatory standpoint as to what they should be doing. Sure. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it is unfortunately a pretty complicated situation. I think the first thing that we need to say is sort of as a big fat disclaimer is that obviously the situation is changing really rapidly. So 
not only is that the case, but we're also in a situation where we're facing something that's never really quite happened like this before. So, you know, all of these uh, state agencies, federal agencies are scrambling to give guidance, but ultimately we're sort of in uncharted waters waters right now. Um, And ultimately what we could say today might not be the case as of tomorrow, um, as laws change, as policies change, and as people try to scramble to do the right thing by their employees. So, you know, as a general matter, um, a lot of the questions we're getting are, what do we do if we close? What sort of obligations do we have to pay our employees? What if somebody gets sick? Um, What if somebody has to stay home because either they're sick or to care for a loved one? And those are all great questions. I mean, to start, you know, a lot of the state and federal agencies are, first of all, encouraging people to be very flexible with their policies. And it might be time to take a look at those again, as far as paid sick leave and other sort of leave uh, options to see what you can do to try to make those policies more flexible or perhaps extend leave in a way that might have not otherwise been available. Um, On top of that, of course, we have a lot of restrictions at the federal level. And then, of course, states and local municipalities, Philadelphia being one of them, New Jersey having now having paid sick leave programs that are mandated. So a lot of the questions that we're getting is, when do these things apply? How do we navigate this question if somebody has to stay home from work or if we have to close the office voluntarily? And as you said, I mean, I don't think in my my 25 years of of practice that I've seen it just sort of an evolving and changing legal structure and and laws being passed as as quickly and as many as as we've seen over the last few days. I mean, it's I mean, I think New Jersey came out with like 25 things this morning, Anna. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yesterday they passed about 29 bills, um, a lot of which aren't even really out yet, but we're hoping that a lot of those will give us guidance in the next day or so as to what some other options are out there to New Jersey employers and, and employees in this sort of new situation. And that's really everywhere around the country too. So what may be the law today may not be the law tomorrow, which is another challenge for people trying to comply with uh, with their, their legal obligations. And I know that the House bill uh, that was passed on the coronavirus uh, is still in the Senate, which obviously that's uh, very concerning to a lot of people. I saw there was a thread on nachos over the weekend and where people are concerned about what that implications that's going to have on their practice and whether or not they're going to have to extend two weeks paid coronavirus leave to their employees. But as we record this show today, that uh, that bill is still before the Senate and it's not been not been voted on and has not been voted in the law. And it still remains to be seen what the final result will be of, of that legislation. So uh, and so, I, again, a lot of people worried about the compliance of that. And I would say, you know, until we know what the law is, it's really not something that you can worry about or plan for. Just like Paul said, with the snow, we yeah. just have to wait and see. Also, what, as an exhausted medium age dentist practice owner, and I'm you know, super caring about everyone involved here, my team, you know, they pass something like that. Let's say they do it and they say, OK, uh, Nacho and brother Nacho, you have 25 team members you need to pay them two weeks of coronavirus leave so that they can go and pay their debts and their rent and their food. And I say, great idea. I'm all for that. Who's going to pay the dental practice to pay them? If the practice has been closed, where do they get, where does these small businesses, dental or other, get the funding inside of their small business to be able to honor or fulfill that requirement? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the question. And then some states are, are talking about uh, loan programs for, for small businesses. And the, the initial legislation with the House bill uh, on the corona leave was going to allow the employers to have a tax credit. Uh, which is nice, but you don't see the impact, the, the effects of that tax credit or the benefits of that tax credit until next tax year, which means right. that why are they asking us? Why are they asking it? the business owner to front this money? They need to front it to the business owner and hope they get paid back. I mean, yeah. that, it, no it, it's the only way math works. I mean, it's, it's not going to work any other way. You know, yeah. the people who print them, this is where it's happened. This is it. We're in Monopoly. I'm in the game. I want to be the shoe. You know, uh, the people who print the money have to give the money to someone to pass it along to the other people to get the money into the economy. You know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I was jotting down some notes. I know we'll get to um, serious uh, stuff with Linda here in a second, but uh, I think we've all had this experience. You're at a wedding, right? You're at a wedding and the ceremony ends. You do not want to congratulate the bride and groom. There's time for that. You want to be first for the open bar, right? Because everyone rushes to that open bar and every wedding in the history of weddings acts like it's their first day doing a wedding because there's two bars, two bartenders all alone and everybody descends upon them for gin and tonics and old fashions and it gets crazy. And that's what this run on our PTO and our, and our office funding we're going to run out of gin and tonics quicker than we could in, in a way that's going to be almost uh, useless to our team members besides maybe a week or two out there. And that's, it's, that's, that's the question. And that's, I'm kind of curious to hear Anna's thoughts on this and Linda's and, and yours too, Paul. You know, I, I see these mandates to, to close these cities for two or three weeks and people are closing their practices for, for two or three weeks. But what do we do, Linda, if after three weeks, mm -hmm. the pandemic is worse? There are more cases of coronavirus in this country. You know, can, is, it, is it possible to continue to, to comply with the ADA you know, guidelines or the, whatever, the New Jersey or whatever other state uh, board of dentistry comes up with at a certain point? Uh, you would think that uh, people are going to just have to open. I, I would think. But what, what's your what's your opinion on that? You're right, Rob. There's so many inconsistencies, and, and we're in such unclear waters, and we don't know what the path ahead is going to be because we can take, you know, 110% efforts today and, and take them for two weeks, and then we don't know that we're going to be asked to do 200% efforts the next two weeks, and and then how long can we sustain that? I was just listening to a bit of the um, White House briefing before we came on because um, they were talking about some important updates, and. Um, the president was saying how we're, we're going to be very strong. We're going to have all this um, energy ready to, to, you know, put back into our economy and just go full steam ahead because, you know, as Paul said, you know, he's, he's home with the moderator and everybody's eager to get out and it's been snowing and we want to go do something. So if you can't get out and go play in the snow, then you, you have this pent up energy. You want to, and so it's going to be. People wanted more time with, everyone wants more time with your family. Well, yeah, you got yeah. it. But I you got, got it. it. <laughs> this is it. And then you're going to have all this pent up energy like, okay, I'm ready to get back to work. I'm ready for my, you know, normal day kind of thing. And I think we'll be going full steam ahead as soon as we can. But some of the concerns that I'm seeing is, is um, 
the ethical and social moral responsibility to, to use the PPE properly and to disinfect and clean and disinfect our, our clinical and non-clinical areas. Because Linda, just because we have um, lawyer, uh, attorneys on their side and they're not quite as cool as us, just share with us what PPE is, oh, thanks, what traditional Paul, yeah. PPE is. I know, this is us. We're insider talk. <laughs> you guys talk about briefs and torch for a few minutes. but uh, There we go. Uh, that's right. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, uh, personal PPE, protective equipment. And then just paint for us, Linda, because you've been an awesome resource sponsor and friend. And just for our listeners, you know, just paint the picture, especially for Rob and Anna, uh, you know, What's traditional PPE? What do dentists? What should dentists or hygienists and assistants look like? What should they look like? And then will they need to look like Dustin Hoffman from the movie after this? <laughs> exactly. Well, traditional personal protective equipment is mandated to us from the OSHA's Bloodborne Pathogen Standard, and it's very uh, de- definitive of what that definition is and how uh, the PPE has to be appropriate to protect you from the spray and splatter, and it has to last for the length of time that you need it to last, either for that one appointment, or in some cases, you may be wearing a certain type of jacket um, throughout the day. And this is where we're running shortage of, of gloves and masks and hand sanitizers and wipes because it's all that type of equipment that keeps us going in dental practice and keeps the employees safe from being contaminated by patients spray and splatter and to some degree protects the patients from us too. So we, we are seeing now because of all the concern of you know, not having enough masks and running short on these supplies that we don't have the adequate personal protective equipment to see our patients and fully uh, dress out, if you will, like we're supposed to. The guidelines for wearing masks um, aren't prescriptive from OSHA as far as what level of mask you should wear. And there are three different levels of masks that have been determined by the um, ASTM as far as the organization that OSHA defers to for testing the mask and seeing what's the filtration level, what's the efficacy, how long is this mask gauged to be last last during a procedure. And so we know that we, when we're doing spray and splatter, which is pretty much 100% almost of all the dentist procedures, right, Paul? And sure. hygienists who are using ultrasonic devices, that's a lot of spray and splatter. So they need level three, the most protective mask. And so this is one of the areas where we're running short in supplies because of all the manufacturing that happens offshore in China and the plants that have been shut down in China for quite some time. And then different dental supply companies began to um, ration, if you will, but curtail the amount of boxes of masks that their clients could buy per week so they didn't run out and that several offices be hoarding all of them, like the people that bought all the toilet paper, um, and then nobody else has any. So as a result, uh, they wouldn't take orders from perhaps or limited orders from new clients, you know, and kind of keeping with the order history, uh, as Paul mentioned, with the current clients. And now that there's not enough masks, we have to look back at the guidelines and determine, well, what mask can be used for what task? So a basic level one mask has very low filtration level, but it's great for dry procedures. So if you have an assortment of masks in your practice, you can re, um, change your habits and begin to wear a level one mask for a hygiene or a new patient exam or even an emergency patient exam because there's no aerosol, you know, that's being One of the produced. things I will jump, jump in for a yeah. second, Linda, for Rob and Anna, because they uh, uh, love going for their six-month checkups uh, to the <laughs> dentist, is, uh, you know, there's a Cavitron, which is the thing that sprays water. And when you clean people's teeth, it creates a tremendous amount of aerosols. Think of all this stuff floating in the air. And one of the challenges here with what we're dealing with COVID-19, and you can sh- confirm or, or, or share if I'm off base, Linda, is that none of our masks present, prevent us from breathing this in 
Exactly. At the current time. So we're in a real scenario today, which is why I closed my office for safety yesterday and sanity and stress, because if a hygienist is doing this procedure with their Cavitron, creating all this aerosol, if a dentist is preparing a tooth with a high-speed handpiece and it's all mm-hmm. up in the air, there's nothing right now that dental offices traditionally use, Robinana, that prevents you from breathing this in. Exactly. And that is the real safety concern we have right now because the only mask that prevents that is the NSM95, right, Linda? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the N95 respirator mask, which is sold, has been sold at uh, home goods stores like, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot, which then they're out. But the concern about the N95 mask, Paul, is that even if we had more masks to purchase in this country, there's some very specific guidelines that OSHA puts forth puts forth uh, on how to be fit tested and how you have to have specific training. So you just can't go buy them off and the shelf. Additionally, guys, and, and Robin, I know you're, you're just enthralled with this mass discussion. <laughs> I, am, I, got, I actually am. I've got some questions too. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I just want to say one thing. I was fitted for these at Einstein for tuberculosis, right? Mm-hmm. So if you had to treat someone with tuberculosis. So one of the things that we're saying and Dennis or Cavalier saying, we see people with problems all the time, but we don't treat people with active tuberculosis. Uh-uh. So I was treated for this because if I, I'm, I'm sorry, I was fit for one of these masks, Robinana, because if I had to walk into a room as a dental resident, I had to put one of these masks on before. They had huge signs out saying, put on this mask. Couple things about this mask. For it to be worn properly, you, it's very difficult to, to exist inside of this mask. Mm-hmm. It's around your face in the tightest way. It is not something that a dentist could wear for hours and hours at a time to do their dental care. So if maybe you're thinking, oh, if we get more of these masks, and right now, last night, someone posted online, I'm a physician, and does anyone have any of these extra these masks because we're running out of them? So that's a whole other situation. Are the hospitals and nurses running out of them to treat people on the front lines? But from the dental perspective, guys, even if we decided to have everyone in our office using them because we had an unlimited number, it's, an, it's a mask that's impossible to do a day of dental care in. Right. Well, what Thank does OSHA you. say in this regard, Linda? Is, there an, is the practice obligated to to use those masks? And, and what happens if the right mask is not, uh, not available from an OSHA standpoint? That's so true. So, and we've never been down this road, so we've never had this conversation before, Rob. But what Paul said is, is 100% on target. If we're going to be seeing patients during this time frame, we don't know if this patient is active, a case of COVID or not. And even if they don't have symptoms, they could be shedding the virus. Um, and by not wearing an N95 mask, we're not as safe as we should be or as compliant as we should be. Uh, we just don't usually take our care to that level because we haven't needed to. We eliminate the possibility of seeing an active TB, active case of TB and refer them to the hospital or defer them for elective care. So these are areas where dental practices have never made these decisions or not awareness. But um, if this is not followed, it's an actually an OSHA violation um, for the doctor. If, if the, they're not wearing the right mask. And in this case, uh-huh. that would, is that an N95 mask that OSHA would, would dictate? I could, see that, I could see it going in that direction. I have not yeah. talked to an OSHA expert on this to get their insights, any auditors or inspectors. But if, the, if an employee is wearing only a level three mask, and let's suppose that this hygienist contracts COVID or another disease along this line or TB, then you, we have a workplace injury. This is why I've been just so vocal and I've gotten a lot of support, much more support than I've gotten some people who've said some things about me that my grandmother would not approve of. But um, I've been saying that, you know, you can make back money, 
you can get your practice back going, but you can't buy back your health. And I'm just very, very passionate about this because we have long dental careers ahead of ourselves. And this time out to make sure we're being safe to me is very prudent. And I know it's at the, I know it's kind of come with an economic downside, but we're not going to be able to do anything if we're not healthy. And I just, that's just, you know, you can't get back time. You can't get back your health. You can get back the other stuff. And that's why I was just so vocal over the weekend in encouraging the ADA to come out with something for us because I just think people were going into work the next day unsure if they were safe. Yeah, yeah, the unknown is the worst. Well, so Linda, in what happens from an OSHA standpoint if somebody in the office, a hygienist or a dentist or an assistant or any of the staff contracts the virus, what is the, the practice obligated to do under OSHA or does OSHA not even speak to that at this point? Well, there's two things that come into play here, Rob. One is just the employer's obligation to furnish the personal protective equipment and keep the environment safe under both the bloodborne pathogen standard and then, of course, the workplace safety in general under the general duty clause. But if there is a, um, an illness or an injury that's incurred at the office, that becomes a workers' comp claim. Right. And that should be covered under the employer's workers' comp. So if you saw a patient and you did not know that they had COVID-19 and then your whole office is develops this <laughs> disease now and happens right. in your office, you could be held liable for that. And, and Anna may have some thoughts on that from um, you know, the employment law side. Yeah, Anna, what yeah, about uh, workers' comp in this situation? Is that... Yeah, absolutely. You know, in in certain situations and the other context where we're not talking about, you know, a healthcare employee or something like that, somebody may not be entitled to workers' comp for this, but somebody Mm -hmm. who's on the front lines and could contract the disease at work could certainly file and probably be eligible for workers' comp in that situation. The challenge, of course, is knowing whether somebody actually got it at work or got it in some other capacity. But, you know, Mm -hmm. I think in most cases, especially somebody who's working in a dental office and is more likely to be exposed there would, would probably have success on that claim for workers' comp. That's an interesting point, though. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, you could sort of speculate that that mm-hmm, is, right. um, was the cause. Um, obviously, we're not, we're not workers' comp lawyers uh, right. at all, so we're yeah. way out of, uh, of our normal uh, area of expertise. But, but Rob, you know, I think briefly... Other- yeah. It's just to take, it does bear to mind there to bring this to attention to all of our listeners so they can begin to think about um, what to do when they're putting together their plan because right now with all the things that are changing, if, as we've all said, we, you need a fluid plan. We've got to be very flexible. And so they should be considering all these different options as they're mandating their staff to work. And in some cases, I've seen and heard and hygienists have texted me, what do I do? I'm only being rationed two masks per day. <laughs> Right. And that's totally below the, one below the standard of care, which violates the Dental Practice Act. It, you're not following the CDC guidelines, which is law in many states. And then we have an OSHA situation handled up here. So it, just the magnitude, the doctors aren't able to think beyond just the immediate decision of, okay, well, ration masks will make that work. But they're not seeing the fallout. If, I mean, it's, it's multiple fault. I mean, it's, it's driving mm-hmm. me so nacho nuts, even just trying to process this. Because first of all, we're having one discussion about the right masks most of the time. And Mm -hmm. now we're having a discussion about having masks that are totally ineffective for the thing we're dealing with that's COVID-19. So it's, it's such a complex scenario. And the other thing I was going to say was I just got a message this morning from a dental student who asked to remain anonymous. This, this was not related to his dental school, but he said, I was spending time with somebody who now has COVID-19. So now I have to self-quarantine and I have to tell everybody to do that too. So in Canada, guys, there was a dental meeting 
and I want to make sure I quote this right, but I, I think it was 4,000 people. And when they came out of it, there's four people who have it. So now our 4,000 people have to self-quarantine. So I think Rob and Anna, while I know I like to pretend and I bang a gavel and I'm a lawyer on TV, I know I, mm-hmm. you guys are the real, real attorneys out there. Like, I want to maintain my flexibility with my team. I don't want to, I want everybody to be out of the office right now. I don't want to have anything track back to the office where some patient happens by and says, oh, you know, I was, I'm positive for this. And now this, this quarantine has to be the whole office. That's why I just, whether it's a, whether offices are closed today, like mine, because they care about safety, but also if they're trying to protect their office long-term, I just can't process being open at this time without the process, without the proper PPE and also all these mandates to self-quarantine if you're exposed. It's definitely risky. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, let's take that a step further, because when you think about just the immediate people that are, they're being quarantined, you know, um, the, this dental student and the people he was around in school, and then think of who, who all they've been around. That's just where kind of that, that domino effect happens. Um, you know, kids are out of school. Kids have been, are highly contagious, but we know from some of the um, studies and re- experts that I've listened to, they don't seem to be contracting the disease. Um, it's like hepatitis A. They, they could be carriers, but they don't typically Holy contract the disease. I actually think in this dental student's case, for the person like, and I saw this with a famous actor last night, they are testing positive because they get tested because they're with someone who was positive and they have zero symptoms at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have no problem. They, they just have to self-quarantine and they feel fine. Yep. And yeah. Maybe they're just going to have a subacute, subacute experience with it the whole time. Mm-hmm. But if they carry it to somebody who's elderly or immunocompromised, and in New Jersey, there's 11, there was 11 people in the ICU from a report who were 28 to 48. This is where this thing starts to just explode outward mm. and affect everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's where everybody across the country is worried that we will end up like Italy because there's just a shortage of beds and there's a concern. And, and I think in some ways we can watch Italy and say, we don't want to follow that fall in that direction, but I think it's not an, an entirely apples to apples comparison. You know, there's a much smaller country, um, much older population. And I don't know, maybe one of you know, did, did they close their borders as soon as we started closing our borders to China and other people? I think I so. I think there's some border closures today. I mean, like, you know, we started closing our border to China back in January. So I don't, I don't remember the history of what Italy has done. So it is very concerning for their population. Um, but if we all you know, follow the social moral responsibility of, you know, isolating ourselves, following these guidelines, then we, if we happen to have come in contact with somebody, then we won't be spreading it. Yeah. And and I would like to ask Robin on it. Like, so basically just to make sure Linda and I were clear with you, it's three weeks from here, Robin, and I, and we're supposed to go back to work. Do I have the PPE to keep everybody safe? Right. Can I even buy it? Because those masks you can't buy. So we have a big problem on our hands, specifically as dental practice owners. There's no PPE for accounting offices, right? right? So this is a huge issue that we have to work on over the next three weeks because, you know, do I open my office back up without the appropriate PPE for me and my team? It's such a, a, a moral, ethical, business OSHA conundrum. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think Linda can probably speak more to this as well. I mean, if you're opening up without the proper uh, PPE equipment available to your staff, then, you know, you can't put your employees in a situation where they're putting themselves at risk. And they may have, you know, the ability to stand up and say, we're not working under these conditions. So I, I think that's an OSHA standard that, you know, may have some leeway here 
whether it's used that often is another question because we're not typically dealing with that unsafe work environments in, in the United States, but that can okay. certainly become a problem, right, Linda? Oh, absolutely. And the interesting thing is, Anna, Anna is that the offices that are choosing to stay open, um, and they are, they're putting new newsletters and emails and web pages up, you know, talk about all the enhanced um, infection control protocols that they are attempting to follow in the practice to give their patients more assurance. And they're doing it at the grocery stores and everywhere else, as we know. So I want to use an analogy. I'm going to use a nacho analogy here, just like, I like it. got so many great ideas. Of course, mice is not really nachos, Paul, but so I went to the gro local grocery store yesterday to pick up a couple of quick things. And so I'm going in and I'm going to wipe down the cart and I don't see this the stand of wipes anywhere. And so I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I turn to my left and there's a Publix employee going, oh, here's your cart. We've already cleaned it for you. And there's a whole couple of employees standing over there wiping down all the carts. So when you walk in, you don't even have to wipe down your own cart. So they're setting an expectation, this higher level of expectation for their customers that we care. I could see several employees around, around the, you know, grocery store hours I was there, cleaning, wiping while, while, while customers are going on. So when we talk about now to patients that were uh, following these enhanced guidelines, many of them are things we were supposed to have been doing already um, that we haven't been in tune to, you know, wearing the proper mask, wearing the, P wearing the PPE properly, the mask, should, you know, how it should be fitted and closed around your nose and your wrist should be covered with your gloves and your long sleeve jacket. And, and so many dental professionals, um, Paul, you've seen this, you know, but, you know, Rob and Anna don't wear jackets. It's too hot. And so they're allowing themselves to be covered in spray and splatter. When this all, all blows over, uh, <laughs> Rob and Anna want to dress up like a dentist for the day for Halloween. So I got your outfits. I got your outfits we can outfit you very nicely. So yeah, yeah, just yeah. let us know yeah. your size I'm, and we'll I'm, get you you're the right. Model. You're going to do a whole, we're going to do a, a, a video webcast, appropriate PPE. So that's why mm -hmm. Rob and Anna, I'm so excited to, not excited, but I'm so in, want to be engaged is that. I, I think we're getting this across to, to you guys because I know you get a lot of questions from your own uh, client list. When it, if, people were, if people were sent back to work in three weeks, there's a special group of people called mm -hmm. dentists that are not sure if they should be sent back to work because that Publix you talked about, Linda, I think it's awesome they're wiping down the carts mm -hmm. and I think that's great. The risk of getting it in a Publix unless someone is coughing or spitting is fairly low. Right. In a dental office, we're dealing with coughing and spitting in aerosols every second All of day every long. day. Well, the analogy, though, is also that if they're doing this at my grocery store, why aren't you doing more in my dental practice? I mean, I would say, and you know, this is, this is uh, the reverse of it, too. If my cousin called me up today and said, I'm going to go get my teeth cleaned, I'd say, don't go. You know, it's not, don't go today to get your teeth clean. Today's yeah. not the day to go. How long is that going to extend for? And how long is that going to impact dental practices? Because as we move to your guys' stuff, Robin, on it, we've talked about this elective and non-elective care. Like dentists can go in for emergencies right. and deal with emergencies. And I'll What is an it, emergency? Yeah. Right? How do you define that? I did a multi-year general practice residency and I worked really hard to get a system for our triages because we would get 30, 40, 50 patients. So you could, if you answered no to these three questions, you weren't a true emergency. Are you having problems swallowing? No. Are you having problems breathing? No. Can I see any swellings outside your face? No. You immediately did not get categorized as a true emergency. Now you could have an urgency, you know, mm -hmm. pain, pain starts to become challenging, but if you told me I can't sleep, I have 10 out of 10 pain, we can manage that without dental intervention with pain medication sometimes, or our endodontists and oral surgeons, they remove a tooth or they do the root, the root canal to alleviate mm -hmm. that. But there's very few true dental emergencies. 
Then we have urgency. Someone says, you know, I'm getting a, a swelling inside my mouth. Is it going to go outside my mouth? But we need to come together as a dental community and hopefully the ADA or, or, or state boards can help us. And I believe, you know, I was watching last night in the news, they were talking about setting up temporary hospitals. I need to believe dentistry needs to set up emergency dental centers run by specialists that we can rely on. And maybe, maybe they have to get the PPE that they need and they can use it because they can prevent those people from going to hospitals. But this is still, Robin, Anna, and Linda, an extraordinarily small number of the care, uh, the small number of cases we do are true emergencies. So in essence, we are shutting down our practices. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the the problem with all this is obviously you know it's a lack of preparation, a lack of preparedness. Uh, if you're coming at this already from a, from a deficit, in that you weren't following the right protocols and how you're wearing your masks or wearing how you're wearing your jackets or not wearing a jacket at all, it's a, it's a huge shift. And in fact, probably the people that aren't doing things properly don't have the inventory even on hand to deal with that. And uh, same thing, even when we talk about uh, trying to accommodate serious cases and emergencies at this point, and your idea is an excellent one, Paul, but you know, how realistic is it to really implement something like that in a time of crisis? I mean, nobody was able to put it together when there wasn't a crisis. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here we are, you know, and, and the problem is that the regulations uh, are, are behind in terms mm-hmm. of what's happening. You know, as we say, every day feels like it's a month, um, but it's not, you know, it's only a day. And right. so the ability to respond with legislation or regulatory guidelines is, is virtually impossible. I mean, I think it's, as we said at the outset, it's unprecedented the, the amount of legislation that we're seeing getting pushed through and laws that are being considered and passed Mm -hmm. in such a short period of time. That's great, but it's not realistic, I don't think, to expect state boards to be as responsive to that. But then what comes down to it, too, is the practical reality. I mean, what do we do if those if there is a shortage of masks, I mean, it's not. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, here, here's what I'll share as a real life story that's probably going to happen over the next three weeks once. And it goes under my catchphrases. You can't do the first thing wrong to do the next thing right. You can't do the first thing wrong to do the next thing right. Mm-hmm. Someone calls me up and says, I have a facial swelling, okay? I have a facial swelling. This can happen to anyone from a root canal gone bad, a fractured tooth. Well, now I'm set up. We, Linda is our OSHA trainer. I, I take pride in what we do, but we don't have any of those masks. So if I say, come into my dental office and I'll try to extract your tooth, I need a dental assistant to do it safely, right? Right off the mm-hmm. bat. So now I'm asking one of my employees to come in to try to do this emergency. So I'm doing the first thing wrong because I know I don't have the right PPE. So the way I would handle this, maybe if we get this out, is I was a resident at Albert Einstein. They do have the right PPE and they do have emergency dental care. So I would say drive yourself to the Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. They have dental residents on call and they have N95 masks. And that's how we have to solve that. But Rob, that and, and Anna and Linda, we're going to run out of sending people to Albert Einstein quickly, which is why I think these emergency dental setups need to be come, come into play ASAP. But like I said, like you said, Rob, to get through to do that is probably just impractical in a, in a timely fashion. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that makes a good point, Paul, because when we send the emergencies to the dental, you know, dental emergencies to the ER, they don't want anybody just going there now with just COVID-19 symptoms or not. They want them all going to the testing centers because they know they're going to be overrun. So hopefully our, our lone dental emergency gets treated quickly because as we know, you know in that particular area of the body, you can close off the airway pretty fast if it's not taken yeah, care of. Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't want people like we still can use emergency departments that have dental care for what they've always been there for. That's what they're there for. Just to share with our listeners and Rob and Anna and Linda, no general dental office is equipped to deal with a real emergency in dentistry, even an all surgery office, because if you do have a serious swelling from infection, you need IV antibiotics. And perhaps oral surgeons do have that because they do IVs, but that is not something general dental offices are going to have. So our ability to help in that scenario is, is, mm-hmm. is, is not limited. Yeah. Is limited. But, you know, I've been the Debbie Downer now for, for the last week. So here I go. I'll just stay true to form. Though, <laughs> so, I mean, do you send a dental emergency to the emergency? Uh, to an emergency room in a hospital right now? I mean, that's a whole part of and another problem with the overall healthcare system. Do we have people with, with coronavirus sitting in the in the ER totally. waiting room right now? Totally concerned. Know? I mean, and so, also yeah. just so I'm clear I like about I had a, I had a toothache and then I, I went to the hospital. I came back with corona, you know? Like yes. I, I, that's a, I don't, that's a that, problem. Is that really in their best interest either? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to, you know, I'd be, I'd have to lose my leg before I present it myself. <laughs> yeah, but to, you're making ER, a good right? point, Rob. But first, I just want to be clear. Very few hospitals are like Albert Einstein in Philadelphia. So first, they have to have a, a, a hospital with a dental department, okay? Right. Second, okay. maybe I'll try to yeah, work. I know you and I are in slightly different parts of this, but one of the things is I'm not necessarily afraid of, of the coronavirus and the mortality rate, I'm, I'm afraid that we're all gonna have it at the same time and overwhelm the hospital systems. Mm-hmm. But in that scenario, Rob, as crazy as it sounds, it could be able be better to have the coronavirus and not your airway closed off from a dental infection. That's, yeah. that's what we're dealing with because the coronavirus is not necessarily immediately lethal Right. It just, it's a problem if everybody has it at the same time and everyone needs to get into the ICU at the same time, that's going to be the problem. So in those specific, that's why I think dentists have to be very purposeful to use a term for you, you use in evaluating their emergencies. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. But again, it, it just underscores the overall deficiency in with the, the our society, our country right now has in, as far as being prepared for this sort of thing, because these these types of decisions shouldn't even have to be made whether or not like I want to risk my I want to risk getting this virus to, right. to save myself mm-hmm. or something else like that shouldn't be, you know, and there are other countries that that's not the case. And, you know, look, I mean, I'm in the business that I'm in. I, I take a step back now and I look at the whole thing and I'm like, God damn, it was been a whole lot cheaper if we had just paid the price to be ready for this than what it's going to cost us now. Of course. I mean, it's and like, the, and this weird, you know, Mrs. Times. Nachos keeps saying this. It's this weird coming out with like more layers each day. Like we need some sort of decisive, like let's do this now together. And this is the thing. It seems like this other shoes dropping every day on, on, this plan to uh, be at home or quarantine, but I wanted to shift from, you know, I've been to, and I know they said this last night on that news, news uh, report, you know, we got to think more about we than me, but for Anna, I do want to think about me for a second. So taking a step back from safety and all these things and, and, and epidemics and pandemics, tell me Anna, like I'm a dental practice owner. I have an awesome team of 20 people. Uh, we've shut down the office. What are my options? And I, I know we've gone on this a little bit before, but share with me a little bit about 
is this what unemployment is used for? Is this where we're at? Is this where small businesses and dental practice owners should be relying on this to get their team through this tough time in utilizing unemployment? Yeah, and that's a great question. I mean, as we sort of touched on before, you know, there are a lot of layers of intersecting laws here and in some ways that things are in conflict. So, of course, it's fully going to depend on your respective state, you know, your respective location. And then, of course, what other what laws and benefits are mandated by those laws in your respective state or municipality. But as a general matter, you know, if your office is closing either voluntarily or because the state has mandated you to close, you could always provide a greater level of, you know, paid leave than what the government requires from you. You can always be the nicer employee and do all of that. But ultimately speaking, if your office is closed even temporarily by no fault of the employee, meaning you the employer decided to voluntarily close the office or is following a government mandate. In that case, if that person's not entitled to pay from some other program, then they probably would be able to apply for uh, unemployment. And that would happen even if they're facing reduced hours. So in that case, it would be either partial unemployment or full unemployment, even if it's we know it's or we hope it's only going to last for a short period of time. And it's a good, and I mean, and Rob and I have used this term that dental offices are people places, not pizza places. But economically speaking, Rob, mm-hmm. Anna, and Linda, they are pizza places. So whether you're one of my idols, Danny Meyer, that owns Shake Shack, and you're shutting your restaurants down in New York, whether you're a million-dollar dental office, whether you're a small business, the only way to continue to pay your team members is by making, like Rob says, the donuts each week. And if right. there's not going to be donuts made in your dental practice it's just going to become mathematically impossible no matter how kind you are of a of a person math is going to math beats kindness we're just going to run out of our dollar donuts to get keep things going that's my biggest right. concern you know we talk about closures for 2 3 uh-huh. weeks whatever if we knew that at the end of 2 or 3 weeks the coast would be clear then you know i think a lot of us would be a lot less worried about the situation but um, what happens two, three weeks in where the situation has gotten worse and more people are infected and now you know, your staff has not worked for three weeks. And again, the unemployment doesn't, that's not 100% of your salary either. I mean, if you talk right. about right. A, mm-hmm. you know, a high producing hygienist uh, or a dentist or whomever, they're, they're not they're not paying the bills for the most part on unemployment and it's not like you can go out and find another job to supplement that. Also, even if also you, Rob, I just want to interject because we yeah. had your, your colleague on the disability claims. I'm, I'm actually just curious because you're knowledgeable. Are they set up to even pay all this unemployment? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they should they be. have I the mean, funding to do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the unemployment is funded through through the state. So it's, you know, unemployment compensation. It's, it's a, uh, you know, an insurance type of product. But, well, but, you know, though, that's a good point. You know, if, if we go to 50% unemployment in this country, which I was scared at my daylights to see yesterday on one of, you know, a news feed that I saw, and um, I frankly couldn't even read beyond that. Uh, I, I don't know. It, is, is the system tested or set up to, to accommodate that kind of, the, the, that magnitude of unemployment claims. I, I honestly, I don't know. You know, I, I would almost be surprised if it was because why would they ever have a fund that was that, you know, that much money in that fund right. for a situation that, that, that would never be able to ever anticipate mm-hmm, happening? Mm-hmm. I can look at this from all sides. You know, the dental offices have now become like your favorite pop-up beer garden, Anna, you know, <laughs> closed down and we're going to open again someday. 
but we're only going to open if people come back to come to our dental beer garden. And what day is that going to be? So the dental, I don't know. I, I've started to feel like my dental business is, you know, a, 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 a ski resort, uh, you know, snack stand or a, or, a, or a beach bar where I just see it being shut down with not totally sure when it, what season it's going to open and when people are going to come back to the dentist. And it's, it's, it's very scary to me as a practice owner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, the other point that, you know, we had sort of touched on earlier, too, is that you could certainly, you know, not make the call now to close your office and encourage people to use their sick time and stuff like that. But, A, if you're making come to, people come to work in this situation who has a fear of what's going to happen in the future, you know, they may not be comfortable saying that I'm sick because they don't want to rely and end up in a situation where they're not getting paid for work. The flip side of that, of course, is too, if somebody uses all their sick time now and doesn't have anything in the future, and we get to a point where we're having the same conversation six months from now because there's been a resurgence, then what do you do? And you don't have sick time. So it, it is a very complicated situation, but you know, ultimately, this is when these programs are going to be put to the test. And some of it's going to have to come from what other guidance and what other bills, you know, the federal government and, of course, the state governments implement to try to help out particularly small business owners in this it's, situation. And a lot of that's just open to be seen at this point. And now that's why you're saying uh, it's important. And the government has said that you know, really try to be flexible okay. with this stuff because this is, you know, another manifestation, Paula, of why, where one size does not fit all. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you have to look at your, at your policies when your leave policies are and say, okay, now how am I going to make this work? Because as Anna said, incentivizing somebody to withhold their condition or disincentivizing them from, from being forthright with you is not helping the situation, right. you know, so you can follow all your rules and back somebody into a corner and say, ah, this is the rule. And you may not like the, the result. Right. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really good point. And as Anna was saying something there too, and this is just, and Linda sees this and the word I'm going to use is focus. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll start with a, 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 uh, a fun example. When you guys bring your awesome dog to the office, Rob, do people lose focus for a few minutes when she comes in? <laughs> I think does, so. Does it maybe cost you a lot to ask have? Anna. Ask Anna. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Anna what is, what is the Luna impact here? What is so, the Luna? Yeah, when Luna wanders into my office, I definitely stop whatever I'm doing for a few minutes for some. And so when I bring but, Drew yeah. into my dental <laughs> office, everybody stops. Patients, they start walking out of the room. Where's the baby? <laughs> the whole thing, it's a thousand dollar visit for Drew, right? So what I'm sharing with you is this, and this is why I, as you know, it's a good, you know, as we, we wrap up or we get to points is I've been in dentist for 17 years, whether it's snow, whether it's a baby, whether it's a dog inside an office where the customer's there and you're working on the customer and you have a team and you have the dentist, people can lose focus easily. So even if you went back to work against ADA recommendations, against safety, against the PPE, from a dental practice perspective this week, this next week, the focus is going to be totally gone. And I will share that I truly believe that it would be more expensive to have your office open anyway, pay people to be there. And the production is going to just decline because patients are going to not going to want to come in and get big procedures done during these uncertain times that you just spoke about too, Rob, right? I mean, yeah. you think patients want to get a $10,000 implant case done next week when they looked at their, their, IRA balance. So it's yeah. just, it's all together on this same, unfortunately, very, very burnt nacho plate right now. 
Uh, it's a good way to play. And I, here's the thing, and let me throw this out. And this is here's a hypothetical, and you know, because uh, you know, on our lawyers, and we like hypotheticals, right? On. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And I, but I see this as a potential scenario. I've come back to this a few times, and I'm curious. I want to hear what everybody thinks about this this scenario. What do we do if it's five, six weeks from now? You know, the the end of April, and coronavirus is still on the on the increase uh your your staff is now gotten to the point where you know unemployment's either not available or it's not sufficient for them to be able to pay their their expenses and everybody comes to you the whole staff and says you know what dr nacho we don't um we understand the risks here we understand what could happen we could get sick um but um you know we could tell the patients that, you know, obviously this is our policy and we're, we're coming at this with the understanding that we don't know whether or not anybody has this. And so you're kind of coming here at your own, at your own risk. And they say, we really, we need to open so that we can continue to live and, and pay our bills, you know, ethically, you know, from a, an OSHA standpoint, from a liability standpoint, and from a dental ethics standpoint, what do we do? I'll let Linda go first. I have, I have some good, it's a great, great hypothetical. Uh, and I have some thoughts. I'll let Linda. You know, Rob, I'm having a hard time. And this is just, and, and Paul, you may have the better thoughts, but I have a hard time thinking that, thinking that it's not going to get better. I don't know why, for some reason, I'm not a Pollyanna person. I try to be very realistic. Um, and I think there's been a few news stories coming out from China and that, with other um, validated, you know, sources that their number of cases seem to be dropping. And of course, that was what, December, January, February to March. So I don't know if it was around four months or however long it started before then. So maybe we will be going on for a few more months. Um, But, you know, I think that at that point, the government's going to step in more heavy handed and help, just like we had the bailouts from 2008 with the auto industries and different things, whether we agreed that they should be bailed out or not, that pulled, you know, the government helped pull our country back together. And I think that we're um, seasoned enough and smart enough in this country to be able to do that. And I just hope that if everyone can continue to do their social part and follow the recommendations of, you know, not going places and canceling and do, you know, those socially responsible things that certainly we can get this under control pretty soon. And I'm optimistic when I hear and see the stories online from the US, U.S. citizens that have survived the coronavirus, including somebody in Washington State and people that were on the Princess you know, cruise ship over in Japan. So I don't know why, but I'm having a hard time thinking it's going to get worse, and maybe I have my head in the sand. So help me out here, Paul. Well, I think it's a great <laughs> question, Rob, and I think that would be a best-case scenario. I mean, I've, I've hung around with you and on enough to hear some of your catchphrases. You guys could use mesial and distal, but mm-hmm. we're going to need really good guidance, and it's an attorney mm-hmm. term. We're going to really need guidance from the government to say, you guys, at, we, we understand the risk associated with this, like the flu, and getting back to work with everyone uh, understanding the risk, patients too. I see that as the best case scenario, Rob, because we're going to have to do that to get back to what we're doing and make make livings and and care for our patients. I mean, it's, it's, they can't put dental care on hold forever. It's just that we're going to have come to this point where is that going to make it even worse after that? And I think that's going to be the hard the hard discussion to have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think, you know, we have vaccines against the flu and then someone's going to say, but I got the flu anyway, but we have ways of managing that in our dental offices because that also is something that could be passed through our masks as well, but mm-hmm. we've understood this risk. So I think, Rob, the best way I can say it on it is the coronavirus is going to have to become what we feel is the new flu and mm-hmm. we're going to have to manage it accordingly because I don't go to work worried about the flu. But if someone in my office has the flu, I worry about that. So that's where we're going to be in this middle ground. Can we work if five people have the flu in your office if someone just got the flu? And I think the more important question to ask, Rob, and this is my concern, is will patients want to come back to the dentist? That's my concern. Right, right. Anna, what's your, uh, what's your take on that? Well, now that I'm uh, fully terrified of what's happening (laughs) in the next few months, but uh, no, I mean, all joking aside, I think people really just need to be smart here, follow the guidance that the CDC and other applicable health officials are giving us, OSHA, your local health officials as well, and stay stay up to date with that guidance. I mean, if the CDC is telling employers, whether that be a dental practice or other healthcare worker or anyone else, that there are certain guidelines that they should follow to try and mitigate the effects of this, then you need to do it. And I think that's the only way that we're really going to get through this. Um, Ultimately, we do have systems in place in this country to try and help out employers and employees who are facing a lack of work. And we can hope that, you know, unemployment compensation, for example, will be one of those funds that we can dip into as long as necessary. And then I think as, uh, you know, Paul and Linda said, ultimately, the government's going to have to give us more guidance here eventually because we can't rely on that forever. Um, mm-hmm. And we can only hope that if, if the CDC and, and all the different organizations are coming together here to help us out, that we can get through this. It's just going to be, honestly, I think, planning as far ahead as you can and then being flexible and playing it by ear based on what the CDC and state officials tell us to do next. And I think, and I think that's a great point, Sana, and you know, great advice. And I think... Uh, on top of that, really be aware of the, the changing landscape, as we said. And from, from our perspective, I really can't emphasize that enough, that what was the law yesterday may not be the law today. And mm-hmm. what is the law in Texas may not be the law in Massachusetts. Right. Well, I know it won't be. Um, so, you know, be careful of where you're getting your, your guidance and your information and your, your, your advice from because, you know, uh, this is the ultimate time that what a dentist in another state says is the law may not apply to you on some on a, on a blog or or a Facebook group, and I will say, speak for Anna when it comes to these types of laws. Uh, what is intuitive is not necessarily the case. So you shouldn't just assume that. Oh yeah, common sense would dictate that this is the right thing to do. No. No, that that has nothing to do with with the, with the situation, or or the analysis. You know, with the laws right. are the laws, the regulations are the regulations, and what regulations and what laws apply to you are going to are going to vary. You know, from person to person, place to place, and the challenge with all this again is, and they are changing on a daily basis, right. which is actually a good thing. You know, and that that they're changing because the world is changing. What we need to do and how we need to respond is is different on on any given day. So, still very much in a fluid situation, and we're going to be seemingly for the near future. So, I think it is important to plan and try to cover whatever eventualities you can and do what you can do. But you know, once again, the one thing to be prepared for is it's going to change. 
and what it's right. going to look like after, mm, probably going to look different, you know, and, uh, you know, as we've said at, at various times, Paul, and some of the presentations and seminars we've done, you know, that's, that's the one thing that you can count on in the world, in the dental world, that, you know, what used to be will not be the case, you know, in the future, you know, everything changes and this is no different. The world is going to look different after this is all done and what that is it remains to be seen. Great, right. great, yeah. Oh, well I, said, I think yeah. it's a great wrap-up uh, there for us. Yeah, yeah. thanks, yeah, uh, and, you know, Linda and Anna. Thank you so much uh, for our listeners. Of course, uh, best way to uh, find out more about Linda and uh, her group is uh, lindaharvey.net. Uh, is that correct, Linda? Yes, okay. it is, Rob. Thank you. And uh, you can always uh, reach our uh, email, risk team at lindaharvey.net and uh, of course Anna how uh, what's the uh, URL for for your law firm well since I'm working with you Rob you can find us at yourdentallawyer.com and all of our contact info is there as well so if you have specific questions um, and of course all of this is very not only changing constantly but very fact specific what may be the case for one employee may be different for another Um, so you know all of this requires very careful analysis and, and navigating the different layers that we're, we're encountering here on a day-by-day basis. Yeah, that's a good point. And let me say this too, that nobody should be offended if I get tagged or Anna gets tagged or any of my, my team on, on a Facebook group like Nachos or something else and we don't respond because for us to respond to that kind of stuff at this point without knowing all the background and all the circumstances right. would actually be kind of reckless in our point. So it really is you know, important to, to know that, as I said, and Anna just reinforced, uh, things are very much on a case-by-case basis here. And don't assume that what is uh, what is applicable to to your fr- a friend, a colleague, or you know, former uh, dental student buddy is going to apply to you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, this was uh, fun to have uh, all four of us. Unfortunately, under the circumstances that they were, but uh, let's stay positive, uh, listeners out there. And you know, as Paul said, you know, keep your sanity, um, and uh, you know, by all means. <laughs> wash your hands as often as possible. It's the one thing that I keep seeing that is consistent that we all can do pretty easily as long as you're still able to buy soap. Um, but, you know, really try to try to keep it together and try to be good leaders for your, for your staff and, and your team because um, they're looking to you for, for the guidance at this point. Definitely. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.